so I think we're ready to go. Welcome to the Atheist, Atheist and Agnostics meeting, workshop meeting. My name is Sean, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being taped. All participants are required to sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on the recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It Basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there is any press in the room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. Um, the format of, for this session is as follows. Three speakers will... Speakers will share for 20 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. An Ask It Basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the box for our panelists. The topic for this session is Atheists and Agnostics. Um, and I think there was something else on there. I can't remember what it is now. <laughs> um, if anybody remembers what that second topic was. Um, okay. We had to find a power greater than ourselves. So I would like to introduce our first speaker, Lucy. Hi, everybody. I'm Lucy, and I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Lucy. Hi, you guys. I know he just said, keep it to OA, but I have to share on recovery in another program to to tell you how it was for me. Um, I started in, well, I'm going to say, because I think it's important. I started in AA 31 years ago when I was uh, 26. And the first meeting I went to, there was talk of God and in the meeting I was in, there was actually some reference to Jesus. Um, I haven't heard that in a lot of meetings, thank goodness for me. And um, and when I left the meeting, I said, oh, that's not for me, and went out to dinner and had a glass of wine to prove I wasn't an alcoholic, which is kind of the addict type of addict I am. It's like I'll eat at it or use at it to when I'm mad or want to prove something. So um, so I started in that program, and it has led me on a 30-year journey of self-discovery. And hi, everybody. Come on in. And uh, self-discovery and spiritual seeking. Um I grew up in Virginia. My father was a Methodist minister, and um, so I grew up going to church every Sunday, going to church every Sunday night, going to church oftentimes during the week, going to vacation Bible school in the summers, 
I sang in some choirs, etc., etc., etc. And um, I, my relationship with my father was incestuous. I can't say to you, oh, he was a horrible, mean, angry guy. No, that wasn't the case. But um, my, well, I'll, I won't tell you their whole story, but needless to say, it was incestuous. And when I came to recovery, I was pretty angry with God and angry with the Methodist Church and angry with churches in general and angry with religion. And I did not like it that people talked about God and uh, had a really hard time with that. And I'm just eternally grateful to this one fella who was in these meetings I went to on a regular basis who talked about the God of my misunderstanding (laughs) and uh, often said, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't know what God is. And if it weren't for him, I don't know if I would have stuck. But he made it okay. Come on in. He made it okay for me to be really confused and upset and frustrated and not get it and not know what to do about that. So um, I'm just really grateful to him. And... um, I really bumbled along in recovery. I was really clueless when I came in. I had no idea how dysfunctional I was. And um, I was in a graduate program, and I spent a lot of time on graduate school. And I went to meetings. I went to a lot of meetings. I worked steps as best I could. Um, I have no idea in the beginning how I managed the second and third step. I don't know. I just sort of probably just passed over them to a large extent. And it's okay. Come on in. And, you know, my sponsors didn't make a big deal of it, and I didn't make a big deal of it, and it was okay. In my eighth year of recovery, I got together with a sponsor And we agreed to co-sponsor each other. And this sponsor was a guy who um, really knew the literature backwards and forwards, could quote pages all over the place in all kinds of literature. He was in AA and OA, and he was probably the first person I got to know well who was in OA. And we went through the steps together, and he really helped me with saying for the second and third step, I didn't have to believe in anything, just to do it, just to do the things the steps said. And I sort of bumbled through that, and we got to the third step prayer, and he had me rewrite it in my words in a way that I could be okay with it. And I did that, and a few months later, I went back and looked at it and thought, I don't know about this. So I really wasn't convinced, but um, I managed to work the steps with him at a deeper level than I had ever previously worked them and felt more of a spiritual connection 
after that. Um, I first came to OA about 25 years ago, maybe more. And I first came to OA back in Richmond, Virginia, where I uh, first started in recovery. And I went to meetings for about nine months and then moved to San Francisco. And I came to meetings. I knew a number of people in OA. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about it, but I knew people in it. When I was writing my thesis, I had to eat a pint of something that is kept in the freezer case and a package of something that's kept in the cookie aisle. Every night before I wanted to write on my thesis, I was so anxious about my thesis advisor reading what I was writing that I had to have all that sugar to medicate my anxiety. And I didn't know at the time that's what I was doing. That's how I'd grown up. I'd grown up with eating every night after dinner. And I'm a big nighttime eater. That That's the biggest thing that brought me into OA, although I'm happy to eat at other times of the day <laughs> as well. Um, so um, I was eating all this stuff to do my thesis. And, you know, this is in the 80s when we were all looking for incest in our past. And I decided I was going to do this um, hypnosis with my therapist to look for incest. And I decided, okay, if I'm going to undergo hypnosis to look for incest, maybe I'll stop medicating with sugar at the same time, you know? Sort of makes sense. If I want to uncover something, maybe I ought to stop medicating. So I stopped sugar, and I was so anxious I could hardly stand it for three months. And at that point, I thought, okay, maybe these folks in OA have something for me. So I started going to OA meetings, and I got a sponsor. And um, the sponsor I got was an anorexic. And I didn't choose her because she was anorexic. I chose her because she was somebody I knew and liked and um, was a really good friend of one of my good friends. So she wasn't already one of my friends, but she was a friend of a friend, so I felt safe with her. So I started calling my food into her, and then I started really dropping weight, uh, like dropping too much weight. And I moved to San Francisco and started my internship for my graduate degree and dropped and dropped and dropped and went down to 125 pounds, which is a lot for me. I'm 5'7", and uh, started identifying as an anorexic in OA meetings. And, uh, you know, just kept plugging along as best I could and finished my internship started having memories of incest and um, got into some more therapy, finished my graduate degree, and got more serious about my OA program and at the same time started looking around at other meetings and other programs to help with all of the stuff I was uncovering. So I went to a couple of different programs and I reached a point I don't know, maybe nine months later, where I felt like my OA program was pretty stable. I was not losing weight. I was not gaining weight. I was eating 
three meals a day, nothing in between, no sugar, and uh, no sweets, no dessert. Okay. And thank you. I um, stopped going to OA meetings so I could go to other meetings. It was like, how many programs can you be in one time? And I went, I've been to a lot of programs over the 30 years, and all of them have been very helpful. So um, from that point on, I'm going along and I'm going along, and after a few years, I start putting on a few pounds every year and a few pounds and a few pounds and a few pounds. And so I got to a point where I was about uh, 42 pounds more than I am now about four or five years ago. And I was working in a career where I worked in a health setting and I'd go to work and I'd sometimes talk to people about food and eating and compulsive overeating. And and I was going home at night and I was not eating sugar, but I was eating these amazing gourmet fruit juice sweetened cookies, right? $9 for a package of eight like this. Sometimes eating three packages a night. And then I was eating low-fat this and low-fat that and binging on this stuff at night and going to work during the day and talking to people about food and compulsive overeating and how to lose weight and be healthy and all of that. So, you know, I'd already been to OA. I knew what OA was about, and I was determined to try everything I could not to come back to OA. It was sort of like OA was the last, the last choice I wanted to make. Now, from this vantage point, I'm like, oh, my God, that was so insane. Because now that I'm, I'm come back to OA, I'm committed to OA, have over two years of abstinence, I feel really good. I'm so happy I'm here. I'm just so grateful. But at that point, it just seemed like the last thing in the world I wanted to do to come back to a program I thought I had successfully graduated from. The moral of that story being you probably don't graduate from any program, but we know that. So anyway, um, so I started coming back to meetings sporadically and just struggled to sit in a chair for for four for 50 minutes, I'd often come late because I was so ambivalent about it. Meanwhile, at work, they gave me a membership to Weight Watchers. And I lost 40 pounds. How about that? And um, was not binging on cookies or anything else at night. You know, was just eating the program, doing the points, doing the thing, you know. And I was the the real success at work, you know, there were about a hundred of us that they gave these memberships to, and I was the one who had lost the most. People kept telling me how good I looked, etc., which of course I liked. Um, but, you know, I'd lost the weight. I was doing fine. So I stopped going to the meetings and, um, slowly I started binging on the cookies again. And, we know how that goes. It was just a matter of time before I came back to OA. And 
I went to a meeting. Uh, I, I was going to meetings off and on. I was having a hard time committing myself. And I went to this meeting and this woman shared, and I liked what she shared. She was kind of mellow and she had these great feather earrings on. So I asked her to be my sponsor. <laughs> I didn't know her name, never seen her before. And it turned out she didn't believe in God either. So I was very happy to find out that, okay, I could talk to her about this. And basically, we got together one day, one evening a week before a meeting, and we read through the steps together. You know, she'd read a paragraph, I'd read a paragraph, and we'd each of us talk about the paragraph we'd just read. It took over a year to get through the first six steps, so we really took our time. And it was so helpful with steps two and three to do that because what she said to me was, you don't have to believe in anything. Just do what the book says. And I knew prayer was powerful. I've read the research on prayer. Believe it or not, there's a whole lot of research on prayer and healing. I'd read it. I knew prayer was powerful. I knew I didn't even have to say the right words. I could just have an intent in my heart and the prayer would be powerful. So it wasn't difficult to pray, although I had a hard time with the words. And my sponsor took me through and said, okay, just pray it the way it says, and just, you don't have to believe anything, just say the words, and let's see what happens. And all of a sudden, I started loving meetings. I started liking you guys. I didn't think you were crazy. I, I don't know that I ever thought you were crazy, because I've always thought I'm the crazy one. Um, but I started to feel better about myself. Um, a lot of what had had me eating those cookies and binging at night was I was cold, I, I, I especially affected by winter weather. I've always had depression. Um, everybody in my family has depression and anxiety. It's genetic. Um, obviously, there's the gene for alcoholism in my family. There's... There's a lot of this kind of psychiatric mental health stuff in my family. And um, so I, I grew up being really critical of myself. My mother was really critical of me. In those last few years um, before I recommitted to OA, she was telling me how fat I was. Fat, the word she used, fat. Um, and... My mother died last January. She was 94, and I had been the only one to take care of her for years. So for her to be calling me fat, I just was ready to kill her. It was like, I'm doing all this damn work to take care of you, and you're calling me names. So... um and why am I even telling you that? There was Oh, I'm critical of myself. I often tell myself the things she would have told me. And um, I found that coming to OA regularly and 
you know, doing the spiritual stuff, whether I believed in God or not. And I still don't, I don't know what I believe in. And I just think of that line in the big book. What is it? We quit the debating society. You know, it doesn't really matter whether there's a God or not um, for me to work an OA program and to have the benefits of spirituality. And I get up every morning and I pray and I meditate. I stopped meditating after my mother died for a while. It was just, you know, death and dying. It just can take you out of all kinds of normal routines. But I'm getting back into it, and I've been praying and meditating almost daily for the last few weeks and saying the third step prayer every morning. And I don't like the language, but I say it anyway. And I like, I like the ideas. I like the idea that I turn my will and my life over to the power of something bigger than me, something that wants the best for me and wants the best for you and wants the world to be a good place. And, you know, I, I, can, I can believe in those things. And that's enough for me to work my OA program. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, I I uh I went through being a unitarian who was a pagan and I've done um about 20 years of thank you of Buddhism and I've taken bodhisattva vows which means I plan to keep coming back in reincarnation until everybody's um received enlightenment and all of that kind of stuff, you know. So I like the spiritual stuff. Um, the Christian stuff is still hard for me. And I'm queer, so it makes it the whole, do Christians believe in that gay people are bad or not? You know, all of that makes the Christian stuff a little hard for me. But um, I don't. it doesn't matter. None of that matters. It's not about religion, and I don't have to believe anything. And, you know, it's the love of my sponsor that made all the difference, and I'm really grateful to be here, and thank you all. Thank you. Our second speaker is April. Hi, I'm April, and I'm a compulsive overeater. So, I should. I want to start with the fact that I grew up a pretty normal, quote normal kid in terms of going to church every Sunday and believing in God and celebrating Christmas and Easter and getting confirmed and those kinds of things. And um, then when I was about 15, I started becoming more and more uncomfortable in church services, not because of what was um, coming from the scripture, but because I saw how uh, the church was um, not being critical of the, um, the Vietnam War. I was resentful of the leaders of the church who who were the 
business owners in the town and my family was without and so we were we were basically in debt to these people <laughs> in the pulpit and I had resentments about that and um and I was just really angry by the time I was 16 I just I just stopped going to church and when I stopped going to church everyone else in my family stopped going to church that was very curious but anyway um, so I continued on this path of um, being angry and being angry at the establishment and getting to college at a time when there was a lot of upheaval and um, and I fell in with a group of Marxists and what they were espousing made a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, we we decided to not accept anything as it is and we aspired to changing whatever we really couldn't change. Um, and at, you know, at one point in there, I had been doing the reading of their literature and, uh, the idea of God being an opiate of the people made sense to me because the people who believe the most are the poorest people. So therefore, you know, that's what's keeping them oppressed. It's the whole idea of God. And so I consciously ha gave up. I chose to give up my belief in a God. I um, wasn't sure at that point if really I could do that. I just started acting as if there was no God. And the deeper I got into Marxism, the easier it was to not believe in God. And so I became an actual atheist and believed strongly that there was no God. And um, finally, I um, ended up in a 12-step program because of someone else's addiction. And in that program, I found some relief for my own misery and started working the steps with a sponsor. And unfortunately, I flunked step two, uh, mainly because the sponsor was trying to convince me to believe in the God of her understanding. And that was the God that I had understood as a child, and it no longer fit me. And so I said, well, I can't get any further with this. So I dropped out. And then it was a few years later that my own, my misery started um, manifesting itself in uncontrollable eating. And I'd already been since age 15 on diets, off diets, on diets, off diets, gaining, losing, gaining, losing. And at that point, um, by then I was in my late 40s. Uh, realized that I didn't want to go on a diet because if I go on a diet, I'll, I'll get to my goal weight and then I'll just start eating again. And so I didn't want to get into even worse shape than I was, but I couldn't, but at the same time, I couldn't stop gaining anyway. So I was like cooked. And, um, so I said, okay, I really need to reach out for help. And um, it was like, well, should I go to Weight Watchers? That's what my physician said. They teach you how to eat. I already knew how to eat um, and admitted to myself that I was, you know, eating for emotional reasons. So I came defeated into OA. And um, 
What spoke to me uh, a lot in the program were actually the literature and the prayers. And the two things that I remember to this day, this was about 14 years ago. One was in the third step prayer, uh, the bondage of self. And uh, even though I hadn't learned the prayer itself in the beginning, I heard it on a weekly, if not uh, twice a week basis at the meetings I was attending. And I could say I knew that I was suffering from the bondage of self. And the other thing I heard was uh, letting go absolutely. That until we were ready to let go absolutely, you know, we would not be able to find recovery. And so I knew for me that meant letting go of all my own preconceived ideas. And I was very fortunate that I found a sponsor early on who was able to walk me through the steps in a way that worked for me this time. And rather, when we got to step two and she knew I was an atheist and, you know, she'd give me literature to read, you know, come to believe and all these God things. And I said, no, this is anything that sounds like the Bible comes from the Bible. I'm sorry, I cannot go with that because there was, it was just too, um, I was just too hostile to it basically. <laughs> and, uh, not to mention, I didn't know the Bible well enough to even know what the heck they were talking about sometimes. So anyway, but she, um, was able to suggest a way that I could act as if, and that was in, in action, not in my head in terms of trying to communicate with someone or something that I felt I could trust. And that could be any person, place, or thing that I trusted enough to basically share all my deepest thoughts and fears with and to try that on a daily basis. And so that was my beginning of praying, even though I wouldn't have called it praying at the time. But looking back, she got me to pray, even though I didn't want to pray. Um, and... Um, I, it took me a while, you know, to really admit that I was believing in a, in God. Um, I would say, you know, it was higher power sounded good. Goddess sounded good. (laughs) Anything but God, I hated he referring to God as he, that still kind of, um, ruffles my feathers quite a bit. Um, I started, uh, later, in program using the word God only because it was, it sounded better than just HP or higher power. But to me, my concept of God today is, is pretty ethereal, um, not intangible without form, kind of like, you know, what some people think God is. For some people, God is just omniscient. and um, But for me, God is not made in, what is it, what do we say? God made us in the likeness of his being. And I always say, well, we made God in the likeness of our being. And um, that doesn't quite resonate with me personally. 
Um, reading the big book was really, really helpful to me over and over, the first 164 pages. Whether it was more about alcoholism, there is a solution, and um, to the agnostics. Um, that All of that was very helpful and made sense to me. Um, so also in my recovery, I discovered that where I was able to get a handle on why I was overeating and that I was searching. For me, eating is searching and searching is a spiritual term. Um, we're searching for something greater than ourselves. We're searching for completeness. We're searching for a place where we belong. We're searching for acceptance. And I found that in the rooms of OA. Um, and I started finding acceptance for myself. And that had been a major reason for in my most of my life, I I was overeating was because I could not accept myself for who I was. And so a lot of my prayer became, God, help me to love myself the way you do. Um, and I just would say it every day, um, not because I knew it would work, um, not because I really thought that God had that kind of power, but because I felt like that's what I wanted most. And I've learned that the things that I want the most, I turn to God for. Um, so I want to say that um, what fills me today in the sense that God's um, presence does um, are things like when I stand in the Valley of Yosemite and I, it's just me and the giant age you know, age old granite mountains and I feel small and powerless. And when I sit in front of the ocean and I have that same sense of the power of the ocean is so incredible. There no human being has that kind of power. And the ocean has the power to take our life and the Ocean has the power to bring us life um, in terms of food and abundance and getting us from shore to shore and things like that. So um, I find that um, nature and the universe, um, I've never doubted the power of nature or the power in the universe because they are the things that human beings cannot control. <laughs> And they are the things that give us all of life. And to me, that's my concept of a power greater than myself. Um, and when I'm in Yosemite Valley or in the ocean or snorkeling, as I was uh, fortunate to do just last month, and I can see the wonders of the of the universe, and I can lose the bondage of self because I can feel the awe of 
creation and feel connected to it in the same way. And in this program, I learned what humility is, which is just being right-sized and knowing that I am not God, that I am not the center of the universe. My mother tried telling me this at an early age. You are not the center of the universe. And uh, music gives me that same sense, the same sense of losing myself, belonging to something more powerful than myself. It's intangible, but it's beautiful, and it fills me up like nothing else can. Um, So um, some of the things that I've learned, um, I've become much more open to reading literature from all faiths. And religions, I still do not go to church. There is no organized religion that I feel is perfect other than the 12 steps um, and our fellowship. Um, That's what works for me. But I do feel there's a lot of wisdom and a lot of other um, faith traditions. And I go to retreats and I read the literature. And I have to say that I, I... stun myself sometimes when I will talk to people about, oh, God really loves me because, and I go, I can't believe I talk like that because I used to just, you know, scoff at people like that and laugh at them and think they were out of their gourd. But I've become one of those people. Um, But I don't go knocking on doors. Aren't you happy? Um... So I just want to read something, a couple of things that um, resonate with me on the concept of God, and you can substitute the word God for whatever. Out here in the woods, I can think of nothing except God. It is not so much that I think of him as I am aware of him, as I am of the sun and the clouds and the blue sky and the thin cedar trees, engulfed in the simple and lucid actuality of the afternoon. I mean God's afternoon, the sacramental moment of time when the shadows will get longer and longer, and one small bird sings quietly in the cedars. One car goes by in the remote distance, and the oak leaves move in the wind. High up in the summer sky, I watch the silent flight of a vulture, and the day goes by in prayer. This solitude confirms my call to solitude. The more I am in it, the more I love it. One day it will possess me entirely, and no man will ever see me again. And then one more. What I wear is pants. What I do is live. How I pray is breathe. Thank you. And I'd like to introduce our third speaker, Christine. Hi, I'm Christine. I'm a compulsive overreader. Um, thank you, everybody, for being here and giving me the opportunity to be of service. And um, I, I'll just start by giving you a little bit of my background in OA. Um, I've been a member of Overeaters Anonymous since 1994. I came to my first OA meeting uh, June 8th of 1994, 
and have been coming back ever since. And it's the only thing that I've done perfectly in this program is continue to come to meetings even when I didn't like the meetings or the people in them or the steps or any of the other stuff that I heard about. Um, and I celebrated 19 years of abstinence last October, um, which I'm very grateful for. And I'm a proud agnostic member of OA. Um, it's funny, before I came up here, um, I mentioned to somebody I was speaking on this topic and they said, oh, have you, have you come through that? Like, come to the other side. Um, and I was talking about this with somebody uh, earlier a couple weeks ago and I was talking about the convention and saying it's, it's really great to somebody who had never been to one saying this is so it's a great thing you should come and and talking about I was going to be speaking on this topic and he said oh yeah the literature is kind of written from this perspective of like well if you're an agnostic or atheist that's okay you will get through it we love you anyway come on in and and we'll guide you through this to a, a, a conception of a higher power um, and I like the subtitle of this workshop that we, we had to come to believe in a power greater than ourself because that is the purpose of this program, but we don't have to come to believe in God and we don't have to, and some people do and it works for them and that's great. And I can sit next to somebody who has a very different conception of a higher power than me and know that that is completely okay and I'm happy that they found what works for them and I'm happy that I found what works for me and that we can all come to this program and find our own conception of a power greater than ourself and, and do something that enables us to be abstinent. And it doesn't matter what it is. So, um, so I came to OA, like I said, 20 years ago. I, I came to my first meeting just shortly before I turned 18. I came from a family where we did not believe in religion, um, although my mom had grown up in a pretty religious household and gone to, to private religious schools for at least part of her life. Um, Religion was seen in my family as we were educated middle class people. My dad came from a really poor working class family and worked his way up. He was like the first person in his family to go to college and all that kind of thing. And so we were educated middle class professional people and religion was for dumb rednecky kind of people. Uh, excuse me if I don't mean to offend anybody, but that was like the kind of the, the viewpoint of my family. Um, and I have a stepdad who who was uh, or is a, um, a socialist, so opiate to the masses. Yeah, you know that kind of stuff. That was that was the stuff that I would hear in my family. And there was never any distinction between religion and spirituality. They were one and the same, which I, I, you know, have come to see now that they're not. But so I came to OA because I was desperate and I couldn't stop eating and I hated myself and my life was a complete mess. And I walked in the rooms and I heard people talking about God and it really freaked me out. And if it wasn't for the fact that I didn't have anything that was working in my life, I don't know that I would have stayed. Um, I mean, I'm very grateful for the people who came up to me and welcomed me and let me know that I could come even if I didn't. Uh, particularly like what I heard about food plans or about God or anything else in, in the room. They just said, keep coming back. It's okay. You know, just do it one day at a time and you can act as if you can find what works for you. And I'm really, really grateful for the people who, who did those things and said those things to me. But I was freaked out by the God stuff. And I heard people talking about the big book and I thought they meant the Bible <laughs> until I found out it was the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was just, you know, I was freaked out about a lot of stuff, but I was desperate. And so I kept coming back and I heard people say, act as if. And so I started doing that. And I've had a number of spiritual experiences in this program. My first spiritual experience was the first time that I ever prayed. And I had been coming around for a little bit and trying to put together some abstinence and really failing at it. And I just got down on my knees and I said, God, I don't know what you are. I don't know if you're out there. I don't, I don't know if you exist. I don't believe in you, but please help me if you are out there because I can't stop eating. 
And I got up from my knees and I was absent for like two weeks from that day, which was the longest stretch that I'd put together at that point. And it started, it kind of opened this, this crack in my, my wall of defenses to say, well, maybe there is something. And I had a lot of the, um, the reasons for not believing in a God that, that I'm sure many other people uh, in this room as well as out of this room have, that why do good things happen to bad people? You know, why is there child abuse? Why is there war? Why is there genocide? So many terrible things you can see happening in the world. How can there be a loving, powerful God and all these things happening at the same time? I couldn't reconcile that. And people in these rooms said, that's okay. You can just put those on the shelf, quit the debating team, just keep showing up, act as if Find a power that works for you. Create your own conception of a higher power. So I did that. I wrote a want ad for God, as I've heard um, people talk about in doing a, a second step. I wrote, this is what I want a higher power to be. And I wrote out everything that was just sounded wonderful, like something that loves me unconditionally and something that will be there for me and will help me with everything and wants me to ha be happy and all this stuff. And, and that was my higher power. And for a long time, it worked. And I put all those those ideas of why I couldn't believe in God on the shelf. And I, and I made my own conception and I went with it and I, and I stayed abstinent and I worked the steps and, and I got so much, I got so much from this program. I mean, my life today, I couldn't tell you in 20 minutes, even a fraction of how much I've changed as a result of this program. Um, and I always feel like I should point to the people who were here when I came in and they'll just tell you, um, I was so miserable and angry. I was just angry at the world. I hated myself. So isolated. Um, so many things changed in my life as a result of working the steps and, and staying abstinent and following a food plan and going to meetings and having a sponsor and doing service and all this stuff that you hear around here. And, um, and so I had this conception of God that worked for a long time. And then it started to shift. And the turning point for me, like I'm a self-centered person, right? So all this stuff like war and genocide and things that happened to other people, I could put that on the shelf. It was when something happened to me that I didn't like, that I had to go back and revisit my conception of a higher power. And what that was for me was that nine years ago, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, a chronic illness. And um, I'd been abstinent, you know, for like a decade at this point. And I was eating the healthiest I'd ever eaten in my life. And I was meditating and I was doing service and I was working a good way program. And I had never really realized this, but somewhere along the line, I had this idea in my head that if I worked my program, certain bad things wouldn't happen to me. That like there would still be stuff that would happen. Like one day my parents would die when they got really old because that's what happens. You know, your parents die when they get old, but not that other bad things would happen. And it sounds so like childish to think that way, but... I never articulated it, but somehow in my core, that was kind of what I believed. And then I was told that I had this chronic illness and I was like, but wait, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. I'm a good person. I'm, I'm helping other people. I'm working my program. I'm abstinent. How can this be? And, and yet there it was. And so that was the beginning of this spiritual crisis that happened for me. And and then along the way, all those other big questions started to come up. And I said, well, wait, of course it hits closest to home when it's me. But what about all the other people I know who are not bad people who've had something terrible happen to them? And I saw a close family member go through a really tragic loss for no good reason, as is the case with most losses. Um, and, and I just I couldn't believe anymore in that higher power that I had created when I first came into OA. I couldn't believe that there was something out there that was powerful and that would take care of me and that would spare me from pain and hardship. And, um, and so I had to, I mean, I had to just keep 
coming back to meetings because I didn't want to eat compulsively. And you guys are my family and I've been in this program so long. And so I, I mean, I kept showing up, but I had a lot of, I mean, a lot of pain around that and a lot of internal struggle. And, um, I started to work the steps again. And as I was going through steps two and three, this was where things started to shift um, and it took, I mean, it took a long time. This is a process over many years and I don't think it's complete and I don't think it will be ever be complete. Um, I know that the spiritual questions like, what is God? Why are we here on this earth? Those are age old questions. People have been asking those questions since the dawn of humanity. I'm not going to answer them. I'm, you know, I'm not a sage. Um, and, and I don't expect to have to answer them. And I expect that whatever conception I have of a higher power is going to continue to change and evolve. And what I believe today is very likely not going to be the same thing that I believe in five years or 10 years or 25 years. Um, but that I've been able to, as a result of this program and the steps and this wide open kind of view of spirituality that we talk about here, I've been able to search around and find something that can work for me. Um, I was in a workshop this morning and somebody read that part of the big book where it says the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all inclusive. And I love that. It's, it's exactly what I needed to hear this morning as I was thinking about coming up here to speak. Um, so, so let's see. So what do I want to say about that? So what I really focused on when I started to work the steps around having the spiritual crisis was in step two, it says came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would restore us to sanity. Um, it doesn't say came to believe that a power greater than ourselves would make sure we never felt pain, would make sure we got the right husband or wife would make sure we had enough money. It doesn't say any of that. It doesn't, you know, it says came to believe that a power greater than myself would restore me to sanity. And so I really thought a lot about that as I was reworking the steps and threw away all that stuff that I thought about this God that was omnipotent and would care for me because I couldn't believe in that anymore. And I kind of envied people who could believe that and who I'd hear in meetings talking about the God that brought them up a parking place and brought them their perfect spouse and brought them their everything. You know, I got this new job. It was my higher powers will. And I'd hear that I'd be like envious and pissed off simultaneously. Um, so I, I threw all that away and I just started with, okay, came to believe a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. As a result of this program, I haven't had to eat compulsively in a long time. I've been restored to sanity around food. I don't obsess about it. I don't obsess about what am I going to eat next? And then, oh my God, am I going to gain weight? And, oh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have that. Not only do I not have to eat compulsively, I don't have that obsession around the food. So I knew that there had to be something. And, um, through my step work, I started to think not so much about a power greater than myself, but rather like powers greater than myself. And I don't so much think of it as a higher power, but powers greater than myself, because there are a lot of things in the world that are powers greater than me. Most things in the world have more power than me. I mean, as was mentioned, nature is, I'm not in charge of the seasons. I'd like it to be sunny year round. It's not. I'd like it to be warmer in the Bay Area than it is. It's not. You know, I'm, I clearly am not in control of that. And so I started to think about all these things that that are, are powers greater than me and started to think about um, what surrender meant because that is very different to me 
as an agnostic as I am now than when I was somebody who believed in a more traditional concept of God that like before I thought surrender was like, okay, I don't, I, I'm going to turn this over and I'm going to trust the outcome is going to be okay. And now I feel like that's not necessarily true. I'm going to turn things over and the outcome will be whatever it will be. And, you know, it's not like I have the worst life. I have a lot of gifts in my life. There are a lot of things in my life that have turned out absolutely fine, but none of it has been guaranteed. And surrendering just means that I'm accepting I'm not in charge of it and that I can't control the outcome. And then trying to do what is going to bring me the most sanity and allow me to be in service to my fellows and enable me to be present and to show up and, and just do whatever needs to be done. So... Um, so I really thought about, so what are some powers greater than myself? Nature is a power greater than myself. Um, I think of kind of the flow of life as a power greater than myself, that these, all these people out there and all these world events going on and things influenced by nature and things that are human made, and it's all kind of going along and I can fit myself into the flow or I can fight upstream and be in conflict with everything and everyone around me. So that's a power greater than myself when I can put myself in the flow of life. Um, I think of life itself as a power greater than myself. I'd like to believe that I can control life. I mean, especially having a chronic illness and thinking about things like mortality. I mean, knock on wood, I've been very lucky. I'm lucky I've not been close to death in my life, but um, at some point we'll all die. And life is something that I'm not in control of. Um, I have two kids. I've been blessed to have two abstinent pregnancies in this program. So like I grew two human beings in my body. I didn't make that happen. You know, I mean, I did the thing that got me the baby in there, but I didn't, I didn't make the baby grow. I didn't, I, I didn't, I really was just the vessel for that. So life is a power greater than me. And the steps are a power greater than me. So when I believe in nothing else, I can come back to the steps of this program because they've changed me. And I've seen them change other people in these rooms. And I know that something, something intangible happens. There's some shift um, that happens as a result of working the steps. So if nothing else, I can surrender my will and my life to the process of the steps and know that I'm going to get sanity out of that. Um, this program is a power greater than myself. Somehow the collective spirit of all the people in these rooms and the wisdom that I hear here and the things that I read in the literature, um, that just can be so right on what I need to hear at that time. That's a power greater than myself. Love is a power greater than myself. I certainly don't control that, but it's had a profound impact on my life. So I think of all these different powers greater than myself, and I try to plug into them in the various ways that, um, that I can. So I can come to a meeting and plug into that OA power. I can sit down and do some step work and plug into whatever that force is that, that makes some kind of transformation happen on the page that didn't come from my own thinking. I can go sit in nature. I can meditate. Um, I, I prayed for many, many years in this program. It was like the first thing I did in the morning before I had breakfast. And I stopped praying in the morning probably about a year, year and a half ago. I just was like, you know what? I don't believe in God anyway. Why am I going to pray? And recently I started trying it again just as an experiment. Um, and And I don't know what I would be praying to since I don't think there's something out there controlling life that is going to answer a prayer, but, um, but I say prayers of gratitude and I, and I ask for help with certain things. And I think in a lot of cases, it's probably just connecting with whatever that thing is inside of me. Um, cause I also think that power greater than myself is not necessarily something external, but it can be some kind of force inside me, a 
conscience or the soul or what have you. I mean, I believe in the spirit of humanity. I can see it in like great works of art and things like that. So there's something inside of us, I feel like, that's more than just our, our physical body. Um, so I can connect with that part of me through things like step work, meditation. I, you know, I don't know if I'm connecting with the being or myself or the, the spirit of the world, but um, meditation is so wonderful and, and soothing and calming for me. So I can do the things that I know that work and I don't have to figure out what it means and I don't have to figure out if there is a higher power. And I'm happy to call myself an agnostic because I know that I don't know everything. And so I think that there is no omnipotent higher power and I'm pretty convinced of that, but I could be wrong and I could die and the pearly gates could open up and I could be like, it would be like that South Park episode, you know, where they're like the Mormons were, they had it right all along. They were the ones. I don't know if any of you guys watch South Park, but like it could be like that. I could have the complete wrong idea and I, and I could have a good idea and I could have a bit of the piece and it could a bit piece of the truth and it could be this big and I'm only seeing this piece of it and I get to still come to this room and I get to still come to these meetings and be wherever I'm at with my conception of a higher power and get to be loved and accepted by you and get to grow in sanity and in abstinence. Um, so I'm really grateful for this topic. Um, I want to thank you guys all again for being here. And, um, and I'll, I'll, for once in my life, I'll stop before the time is up. So thank you. So now we'll have questions from the Ask, ask It For Our panelists. Um, we only have one question for one specific panelist, and that's for Christina. And how do you deal with hearing so much about God? Um, that's a good question. Thank you. So the way I deal with it when I was first kind of going through the spiritual crisis experience was that it was really hard for me to hear about God. And like I would make a program call and somebody would say, oh, your higher power is taking care of you. And I'd be like, mm, I don't think so. And um, so it was really hard for me. But I think over time, as I've worked the steps on it, I've been less angry about it. And um and I do a lot of translation in my head. So like the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I love that book. I've read it for so many years um, that it just, when I hear the words, it kind of has an instant calming effect on me. And a lot of it is written from a, a very particular kind of, I mean, even though they tried to make it not religious, it's written from the background, a, a point of view clearly of somebody who had a particular religious view. And We Agnostics is clearly trying to persuade you of something, even though it's a wonderful chapter and I get a lot out of it, you know, it's, it, it can, it could be offensive if I was reading it in a, place where I was feeling really, um, really raw around this. So I've just learned to translate it in my head. And if I hear God, I can translate it to something that works for me. And if somebody says something that I don't particularly relate to, that's okay. I can just kind of let it go in one ear and out the other and, and move on to the next thing that somebody is saying. And it's also really helped me to seek out stuff that that I connect with. So even though some of the foundational literature, like the big book is written from a particular kind of religious perspective. Um, there's a lot of really other wonderful literature. So I have a subscription to both the, the OA Lifeline magazine and the AA Grapevine. And they have writings from, you know, people 
all kinds of topics, all kinds of backgrounds. And AA has a couple of compilations that come from the grapevine, one on spiritual experience, which is wonderful because it's written truly with perspectives from every part of the spectrum. So I can read one that I don't relate to and read the next one and, and be somebody who has like 20 years of sobriety writing about being a hardcore atheist and, and just know that I'm not the only one. Um, so, so yeah, I would say that's both kind of seeking out people that I can connect to either through the literature or in person around this and also just really kind of letting go of anybody else's conception and, and trying to stay true to what I know for myself to work. So this question is for any or all of our panelists. Um, how do you maintain or build a relationship with higher power when you feel abandoned or angry with higher power? Um, I think it took a lot of time for me. Um, I had to do a lot of four steps. The last four step I did just a few months ago was probably the first, maybe the second four step that my father and the Methodist church were not on after 30 years. Um, so time, working the fourth step on my anger definitely helped. Um, meeting and knowing other people who are atheist or agnostic in recovery definitely helped, feeling like I'm not the only one. Um, I wrote a number of letters to God about my anger. And again, it's just, it's weird to write a letter to something I don't believe in. But, you know, what I say is some days I believe in God and some days I don't. And I don't know, I don't know that I've ever believed in God that's like this human-like creature with a gray beard, etc. But um, just writing some letters addressed to the God that I'm angry at, whatever that God is, was helpful. Um, I availed myself of a lot of healing techniques in addition to the 12 steps. I did a lot of therapy and a lot of therapeutic techniques that weren't one-on-one -on -one therapy um, and did a lot of work on these issues in the 12-step programs and in the other programs. And I did a lot of the other stuff in the other programs with people who are also in 12-step programs. Um, and that's what I can think of. Who else? I'd like to try to answer that for myself. First of all, as I mentioned, my sponsor, when I was first working the second step, had me uh, find someone to whom I could confide in. And at that point, that was my mother who was dead and whom I missed a lot. And even though in her, during her life I didn't confide everything in her, <laughs> um, she was someone I wanted to stay connected with. And um, as an atheist, though, I did not believe that she was in heaven watching down on me. Um, but 
I did believe that she did give me, she did leave me with something that today I could say is a spiritual essence of her, you know, her values, the way she looks at things, things like that. And so I started writing letters or quote, praying to her. And then over the years, I've started doing, just changing it to dear God. And writing has always been like a lifeline for me, even before program. And I find that now that's the way in which I connect the most uh, effectively with a power greater than myself. And it's almost like the person doing the writing is not me who's connecting with the higher power. It's kind of like there's three different forces there. And so when I get angry, I just write that out. And of course, my sponsor is always good when I say, well, when I'm ranting or venting or whining, it's like, well, where is your higher power? Where is God in this? Where's, you know, where's the solution? And maybe your higher power isn't big enough right now. Maybe your higher power needs to grow in a certain dimension that answers the, the problem that you're trying to bring, um, relief for. So, um, you know, it's to say that, God, it's like whatever works in the moment is the best definition of higher power to me. And it, it's, it doesn't have to be a fixed thing or definition. So this is a two-part question. Um, if you ask for guidance from a higher power, how do you know when that guidance is given? And how do you know that it's God's will versus your own will when God gives you guidance? That's a good question uh, for me. Um, I know I'm doing God's will when there's uh, a peace and serenity that comes with, you know, that I feel internally. And... When it's not my will. So there are things that I've done in life since coming into program, which I would, did not have the courage to do before program. And when we ask God for the courage to change the things we can, sometimes there just isn't enough courage. But when I find that I'm doing it anyway, and I'm not worrying about the consequences that I'm letting go and saying, well, whatever comes, comes, and I'm doing this anyway, um, despite my fear, because my will is protect myself. (laughs) Um, God's will is grow and move forward. So um, if I'm willing to do the work or take the step or make the change, then that's more than just my will. There's something else that's pulling me. Um, and I, even though I don't exactly believe in God's will, I do believe in guidance. Um, 
so I I ask for guidance and it talks about in the OA 12 and 12 and either it's either step two or step three intuition and the power of our intuition. And I love that part of the book that it, it, it just says basically that like when we were eating compulsively, our intuition was buried. And as we get abstinent and we're abstinent for more and more days and we start to work the steps and we work the program and we talk to people in these rooms, that intuition gets uncovered and we can come to rely on it more. And it has, you know, it's very much like the part in the big book where it talks about relying on our intuition. And I, and that's been my experience is that uh, not that I haven't made mistakes, but the, the longer I stay abstinent and the more I work the program, the more I'm able to connect with some intuitive sense of what the right thing to do is. And if it's a big decision, then I talk about it with people. Or if it's something that I'm not clear on, I talk about it with people. I have a sponsor. I have program friends that I can talk about things with. And I can write about it and I can meditate about it. And if it's a big decision that doesn't, it's not like a burning issue, I can wait um, and take a little time to figure out if what I think is the next right thing is actually the next right thing. So um, the practical tools that I get in this program helps a lot. But then there's also that kind of that spiritual part that isn't just doing, okay, I check off A, B, and C. I've called my sponsor. I've written on it. I've, you know, it's also some kind of sense that, that I get inside that is not 100%, but I think is more, uh, more often the more longer I've been here, been something that I can rely on. So just to add one more thing, um, one way I think about higher power is thinking about higher self. And um, I use the part of the big book where they talk about upon awakening, we ask God for an intuitive thought or action. And, um, you know, if I don't have an intuition, I know what my values are. So this one has a statement on it, I guess you would say. Um, We're very fortunate here in California, as most people coexist with other persons of different religions. Have you had experience with OA meetings or OA members with an overly religious vibe? And how did you deal with that? I definitely have been to meetings that felt very Christian and... I did what I did in all meetings, which is to take what I liked and leave the rest. And, you know, they're all people were, even though I didn't like the Christian language, um, there were tools I could use. And I, like other speakers, have uh, used the tool of translation. If you don't believe in God, how do you pray without feeling like a hypocrite? Again, I'll say. Uh, Again, I'll say. Uh, I. Uh, I've read the literature on prayer in healing. And they did the all these studies at San Francisco General where people prayed for people in the Midwest who'd had heart attacks. And 
the research showed it didn't matter whether the prayers knew the person they were praying for. It didn't matter whether they used words or they just used an intention they felt. It didn't matter. The people prayed for healed faster than the people who were not prayed for. So I take that at face value, and it doesn't matter. I would go back to why we had to find a power greater than ourselves. And in my case, I was the kind of person, and I still am, where I felt that everything was on my shoulders. I was the oldest in an alcoholic family with a mother who couldn't be a typical mom, and I um, ended up being ultra-responsible. And that translated into some good things, but it also translated into extreme anxiety, worry, and feeling overwhelmed, incapable, and insufficient. Um, Believing in a power greater than myself gives me relief from that. Whether or not I believe that that power is going to act, that anything is going to change, when I turn it over, I let go of it. And when we say let go and let God, that's a prayer. It's like, just let go. In fact, I have a little thing that just says, let go. You know, it's kind of like, just put it out there in the universe. And that's, to me, what prayer is, is just letting go of it and not feeling responsible for things that I cannot change. And I would say I like to think of it not as, as being a hypocrite, but just trying something. Um, I don't know if a prayer is going to work. I can try it. And I can try it with the kind of language that says, I don't know what I'm praying to, but I need some help with something and here it is. And it might work and it might not. It's just an experiment. Uh, there's a lot worse things that I could be in life than, I mean, I don't think it's hypocritical really. It's just, you know, cause I don't know what I'm praying to. I'm just saying words and asking for help and I don't know where it's going to come from. And that for me is also an important concept of spirituality for me is not to think that I'm praying to this thing that's going to grant me these wishes, but just to say, I'm putting this out there. This is something I need help with. And that help might come in the form of somebody in an OA meeting. It might come from something unexpected in some area of my life. It might be some intuitive thing that I, I, an answer that comes up inside of me, just kind of putting it out and asking for help. And um, when I think of it that way, it doesn't feel hypocritical. It just feels like kind of being open to whatever might be out there to assist me. Kind of along the same lines, how does prayer and meditation fit in with your higher power? Well, I know we've all talked a little bit about prayer. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the meditation part because that's been something that I really love about this program. And, and I think it is very easy to practice meditation as an atheist or an agnostic because it's not, uh, it's, it's not as, as obviously linked to a, like a deity kind of figure. Um, since there are a lot of meditative practices that don't have to do with that kind of religious background. Um, so for me, uh, my meditation practice has been not as consistent since having kids as it was before. Um, and it 
it's been something that it sometimes was like most nights of the week and now is, you know, maybe like half the nights of the week. Um, it's better when I can do it every night. But my meditation practice is before I go to bed, because that's when my kids are in bed and quiet and nobody's going to bother me for anything and I'm not at work with other people there. I, I just sit down and I meditate. And um, one of the things I did that was really helpful in this program was after I'd been in the program for a while, I took a, a course on meditation where we explored different meditation practices. And even though that's outside of OA, um, so it wouldn't be something that I'd tell you those specific practices. I think the, that kind of exploration can be really helpful just to see what fits with your own individual personality and, and temperament and beliefs. Um, and it helped me get more comfortable with the fact of just sitting down because for a long time I was really uncomfortable sitting down and being still and prayer seemed easier because I was talking and meditation was really hard because I was sitting still with my head, which said a lot of crazy things. And um, But over time, as I stuck with it, it became more and more comfortable. And so my meditative practice is really just, I think of it as a way to connect spiritually and not necessarily I don't necessarily know what I'm connecting with, but just to kind of, I think of it like a, a spiritual recharging, just the way that I eat healthy, abstinent food and it physically recharges my body. Meditation recharges me on some kind of soul level. And so I, I sit usually for 15 or 20 minutes. I don't time it, but I just kind of sit till I feel done and just kind of try to let go and free my mind. And, and I find that it does seem to feed my soul. It makes me feel calmer and saner. And sometimes when I meditate, uncomfortable stuff comes up. If there's something difficult going on, the emotions will often come up when I meditate. And then I have to kind of sit through those. And if I can sit still long enough for that uncomfortable emotions to pass, then I can usually get into a place of more calm about it and a place of presentness, which for me is a big piece of spirituality because I have a lot of um, things in my brain that can think about like fear of the future. And if I'm meditating and just being present, then I'm letting go of that fear of the future. And I'm letting go of all the worry and the responsibility and all the stuff on the to-do list. And that to me is definitely a spiritual act. This is about atheists and agnostics. Why do you use the term God? Well, I think I mentioned earlier for myself, it's just become shorthand um, because I just, because that's the literature, what it says in the literature. I like great spirit. I like, you know, spirit of the universe. I like a lot of the terms that are in the big book. Um, and it's just a shorthand. I don't, you know, to me, HP is so... Um, it's like Hewlett Packard. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, everything is an acronym in our society and our culture. And so, um, I don't know, it's just a simple three-letter word. And I don't believe in a, a goddess more than a god. Than, and I, I don't use the pronouns he or she when I'm referring to God. It's just something out there I can't define what was your aha moment that made you stop fighting the idea of spiritual recovery for me there wasn't a moment 
there was a moment where I realized, oh, I'm not fighting this. Um, but having the sponsor who did not believe in God, who said, just, just do it. You know, I'm just going along doing it. And all of a sudden I notice I'm not fighting and I have more access to something more powerful. So I did have a couple of those aha moments in my earlier recovery. Um, but as I mentioned, when I when I first was coming in a program, I had that time when I got on my knees and prayed for the first time. And that was an aha moment that kind of helped me to think about spirituality. And I had a very distinct spiritual experience when I got abstinent where I um, – I was living um, in a small town where there weren't a lot of meetings and not a lot of people in OA. And I had strung together a few weeks of absence, maybe like three weeks or something, which was the longest I'd had at that point. I'd been in program about four months then. And, and I was at work and I was working as a hostess in a restaurant and I couldn't leave my post. And, um, and I had the compulsion to eat and that compulsion to eat, Anybody who's heard me speak has heard me say this a million times. I always think of it like a black hole inside my soul. It's like the sucking force that, you know, if you get in the way of a black hole, good luck. You can't get out of it. I felt, it felt like that, like the food was going to get sucked in when that compulsion rose. And, and I felt that compulsion to eat and here I was at my job and it wasn't like I could leave. There wasn't a meeting happening at that time that I couldn't go off and make a phone call. So I just started praying and, um, and, I, and that was when something shifted where my abstinence changed from being something that I was hanging on to with my fingernails to something that felt more like a state of grace, like something that I was just able to do um, rather than something that I was making happen. And um, I just prayed. I said, you know, God, I trust you. I know that you'll take care of me, which is funny because like, I don't believe, I don't believe in a God now, but it worked then. And that's also why I think of spirituality as such a journey, what works at one point doesn't necessarily work at another point. And I wouldn't say that kind of prayer um, now, but it helped me so enormously then at that point in my recovery. And today, um, my I mean, my spiritual life has been very much a journey. So there have been other things that I think of as spiritual experiences that don't necessarily involve um, a, a God, but that involves some kind of shift inside of me where something changed, um, where I grew, where I felt connected to other people or to the world in some way. And, and there've been a lot of those kinds of things. And I, I think they'll continue to keep happening as long as I stay abstinent and I keep showing up and I'm just open to the possibility of whatever kind of spiritual connection or forces there are out there. So all there's these three kind of are all tied together. Um, have you ever had a crisis of faith and how did you get past that? And what do you do to get your faith back when you lose your belief? Well, I just talked a lot about that, so I won't say the same thing that I said already, but, you know, I, I have had a crisis of faith. And what worked for me was not to try to go back to what had worked before with the conception of a higher power. It was to be okay with letting go of that and just to know that I could continue 
to stay abstinent and and look for a new conception. Um, I don't I don't have faith is such a funny word to me as an agnostic because I don't exactly have faith in something. It's not something that I really feel. But I, except, I mean, I guess I have faith in the program. Certainly, I I believe this program and I trust it. Um, But it was important for me personally, and I think this is definitely different for everyone. For some people, they can go through a spiritual crisis and come out on the other side with the very same conception of a higher power that maybe is just deepened. But for me, in my experience, um, it was important for me to just let go of things that um, that I knew I couldn't believe anymore and be open to finding something that could work for me and being okay with the fact that that would be different and it didn't have to be the same thing. One thing I've done, I don't know, a handful of times is um, I've had times when I've prayed okay, God, if you exist, show me a sign. The first time I prayed that, um, it's when I still lived in Richmond, Virginia, and I had a job out of town at a recovery center. And so I'm driving out of town into this rural area. I prayed that, and it's like, I don't know, 7 o'clock in the morning. It's really early. And I'm driving out of town, and I look over into this wooded area, and there's light coming down, filtering through the leaves on this mama deer and her baby who's suckling her. And it's like, okay, all right, I get it. And that was early on, and that that did something for me at the time. I don't know these days that that would do it for me, but... um, I, I have prayed. I, I don't remember the last time. A few years back, I may have prayed and just said, okay, I need something to hang on to. And I, I don't remember what happened, but something happened. So a lot of times I think when I'm having a crisis of faith, it's that I'm feeling empty and disconnected. And Praying is not praying so much to something as I'm opening myself up to feel a connection somewhere. And if I'm opening myself up and looking for it, it usually happens. How did you come to believe or feel that God loves you? Coming to OA was probably the first experience I felt where I was loved, period. Um, by all of you, by my sponsor, going through the fifth step and not feeling bad about myself for everything after revealing my faults and my sins um, to my sponsor, and she loved me anyway. And and. So once I started being around other people who saw good things in me, and then they started started happening at other places, like at my job, and people, 
you know, started paying compliments to me at helping abstinent, you know, <laughs> because when I'm abstinent, my better self comes out. And when my better self is the one that, um, that's relating to other people, then I feel good about myself. And, and that inner self I could never have without abstinence and absence I couldn't have without a power greater than myself. So it's just a logical formula of, you know, A plus B equals C. I'm abstinent. I didn't do it. Therefore, that whatever did it loves me enough to do to help me in that way. Time for maybe one or two more. Um, how many times a day do you pray or meditate? Depends on the day. Uh, uh, might meditate zero. I don't think I've had a day I didn't pray in a long time. Um, might pray once, might pray ten times, might pray a hundred times. And it's very rare for me to meditate more than twice, in, more than once in a day, occasionally twice. Um, I, I like to meditate once a day, but like I said before, it doesn't always happen, but... Um probably 50, 60% of the time I, I meditate. And like I said, prayer, I've had, you know, there was a long, long time in my recovery where I did pray every day and I had a routine that I heard when I came into recovery of like in the morning, you say, please God help. And at night you say, thank you, God. And then I expanded on that and added other prayers and asked for help with specific things. And I did that for a long time. Um, and, and that's not so much a part of my life now with my more agnostic conception of a higher power, but I do still pray. And like I said, I don't always, I don't necessarily think of what I'm praying to, although I like what's, what, what of the other speakers just said about not praying to something, but opening up for connection, um, that I, I almost always do say a prayer of gratitude at night. And, um, before a meal, I'll just, you know, ask for, for it to be a healthy, abstinent meal. So I say little prayers like that throughout the day that I might not tally up. Um, but, you know, in, in, in terms of like formal prayer, um, I don't necessarily have a formal prayer routine right now. Well, I think it's also what we consider to be prayer and meditation, which is, I think, just as easy, you know, that's up to you as well, just as our conception of how our power is. So, I mean, I do start the day with the serenity prayer. Um, and I've read in the in program that meditation, the definition is to contemplate on something that's written or a saying or some teaching. And I do read OA literature daily. Um, that's how I start my day with the serenity prayer, sometimes the third step prayer, and then um, reading. And I end my day with the 10th step, which to me is prayer because that's when I get honest and I just put it out there. And once it's out there, to me, that's 
connecting with that's a prayer it's just like here it is here i am for you know and letting go all right we are out of time so let's end the meeting with the unity prayer Put my hand in yours, and together we can do what we could never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for a power and strength greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Keep coming back. It works. It was great to hear you guys.